determined to cover all of the all of it because the, the themes are really similar. Um, for the rest of our time in the book of Acts, we're going to be reading about Paul's suffering and his trials and how he responded to it. Um, one goal that I have in looking at Paul's various forms of suffering over the next few chapters in the book of Acts is to help us see how a Christian responds to and lives in light of suffering. How should we live when life falls apart in, in all the ways that it can fall apart? Now, we need to continue to be careful as we're interpreting the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is a history book. It's a narrative book. It's, it's very different from, say, the book of Galatians or the book of Isaiah. And so you have to interpret these books in light of the, the genre that that book is written in. So uh, looking at the Gospels and the book of Acts is very, very different than looking at, uh, for instance, Galatians or Ephesians. In Galatians and Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is teaching. In the book of Acts, Dr. Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he is describing events as they happen with very little to no commentary. He just tells us what happened. That's why sometimes when you read lengthy passages in the book of Acts and other narratives, it can get a little boring unless the story is really interesting. Because Luke's not saying, and because Paul did this, here's what it means for you. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't really teach that much. He is describing. So our job, as we come to narrative passages like this, is to do that work. That's the work of interpretation. We really need to continue doing two things throughout the book of Acts. First, we need to be sure that we are making observations. As you're studying the book of Acts, I would encourage you to make observations of the passage. What is happening? The way that I do sermon prep, especially through the book of Acts, I essentially... Uh, try to find uh, similar themes or uh, similar sections. So if something's happening, there's a scene here, and then it clearly shifts. I'll just mark those off, and then I will summarize what I find there. And, and when you summarize it, you have to make sure that what you're writing down is just your own way of saying exactly what happened here, and that's the first step. From there, we start to, to do theology, and we start to, to do some explaining. Okay, well, what does this mean in light of the vast doctrine that we have in the Bible. What, what, what does it mean? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to observe and we're going to explain. What do we see and what does it mean for us? As Paul begins to suffer in Jerusalem, we are going to see what we can learn from how Paul faced it. So, so in, in the passage that we're going to look at bit by bit, not the one that was just read, so sorry again, Brian, um, I blew that one. Um, but in our passage today, I want to show you how Paul faced intense suffering with deep courage, deep courage. Paul faced intense suffering with deep courage, and so I really want to help us see three things here. We're going to look at, we're going to make observations, we're going to look at what happened to Paul, what Paul did in response to it, and then what Paul said. Because in, in Acts 21, leaking into Acts 22, we have Paul responding to his suffering in action and then in word. So we're going to look at those things. And through these observations, I want to show you how we can have deep courage in a world of intense suffering. I want to do that in three ways. I want to show you why we need to have courage what courage looks like, and then where courage comes from. So what, why we need courage, what courage looks like, and where courage 
comes from. Look with me in Acts 21, starting in verse 27. So last week we saw Paul has now entered the city of Jerusalem, and he was trying to, to show compassion and love and freedom and kind of ease tensions with the Jews. The Jews, uh, not just, just the Jews, but the Jewish Christians as well, they're very angry at Paul because they're believing this rumor that had spread about him that he was teaching Jewish Christians in Gentile regions to completely neglect the, the law of Moses. And we saw that the Jews living in Jerusalem, and even the Jewish Christians, they were described as being zealous for the law, which means that they are staunch defenders of the law of Moses, which means that a lot of them probably struggled with the concept of, or the idea of circumcision. And they probably were continuing to circumcise, and they may have even been requiring circumcision as a means of belonging in the people of God. We're not totally sure, but this language of them being zealous for the law means that they were very upset with a man that they had heard had neglected and done away with the law completely. And so Paul was, was about to face intense suffering if he was going to come into contact with them. Well, Paul tried to ease that tension. We saw he's following a plan that James laid out for him, and he said, listen, why don't you take this Nazarite vow, pay the expenses of the other men under the vow, go into the temple and make your sacrifices, and maybe if they see you following a part of the law, they will see that the rumor is not true. Paul agrees, and he does it. Well, we pick up in verse 27. Look, look at it with me in, in Acts 21. When the seven days of so the seven days of his vow, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, the dreaded ancient enemy of Paul, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. You know what this place is? the temple. He's speaking against our people. He's speaking against the law. He is speaking against the temple. They continue, moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this place. They had seen Paul bring um, an Ephesian in with him. Jump down with me. We'll see the response of the people. Verse 30, and then all the city was stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Paul is in the temple, walking in the temple, and he is bombarded. He is ambushed by a, an angry and violent mob. They drag him out of the temple, and they beat him violently. We're going to see. Well, the tribune or, or the leader of the Roman guard in Jerusalem tasked with keeping the peace in Jerusalem, we see in verse 31, or verse 32, he, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So you've got a mob Paul's in the middle of it, and they're just beating him, beating him. And the only thing that stops them are the Roman soldiers who have to come to break this mob up. Verse 33, then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. He has to get to the bottom of this. Why is this mob trying to kill this man? 
Verse 34, some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So he's trying to get to the bottom of the situation out there. It's almost like kids get into a fight on the playground, you know, at school. You get into a fight and then the teacher comes out. What happened? And you just have chaos ensuing, you know. Well, he said this. and No, he did that. No, he didn't, you know. That's what's happening here uh, in the, out, out in the open. So they, so they arrest Paul and they, and they bring him in for questioning. Verse 35, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Paul is, is so weak at this point that he can't even muster the strength to walk. They have to carry him into the barracks. In verse 37, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, and this is where we see the courage of Paul on full display he says may I say something to you and he said do you know Greek are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness and then Paul just kind of looked around and he said uh no um, <laughs> so uh, they, there was this assumption listen this guy's got to be this man this wanted man that we've heard of this just I mean who else would be beaten like this by a mob okay and Paul replies in verse 39, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. We read in verse 40, Luke tells us, and when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. It was an orator's motion. It's well known to let the crowd know I'm about to speak. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. And we'll stop there. And he gives his speech. In the course of the speech, Paul does three things. And this is really important in, in getting the courage of Paul. He identifies with the people. He identifies with them. We're going to see it. He tells of his conversion. And he tells of his calling. Why, why do we need courage like this the reason we know it's courage is if you were given an opportunity to arrest people who had unjustly beaten you senseless you probably got something you want to say but it's probably not compassionate and it's probably not merciful and it's probably not for the good of those people I mean you may even be like you know the the, the guy's like no, no, hey, I'm, they're trying to hold him back, you know. No, I'm good, I'm good. And everybody calms down, they just attack, you know. I mean, imagine. But Paul has courage. And he faces intense suffering with full conviction and full compassion. Why do we need courage like this? When we read or hear of a story like that in the New Testament, it is so easy for us to disconnect or overinterpret. We will either fail to relate or we will poorly relate. See, we, we don't think that we need the kind of courage Paul has here because we think that we will never have to face the kind of suffering that Paul faced. We read this and we're like, that's inspiring. And missionaries across across the lands, they need to read this. And Christians in highly persecuted persecuted regions they need to read this and they need that kind of courage but i mean i got a normal nine to five you know 
hardest thing that happens to me is the crosstown train. You know, that's, that's the most, most suffering I face this week. And you think you don't need courage like this. The other, the other thing we're, we tend to do is we, we want to relate really badly. And so we poorly relate. And we start equating Paul's suffering to minor inconveniences in our lives, you know. And uh, Taco Bell getting our order wrong becomes persecution. You know, it's like, my goodness. No, I wanted the crunch wrap. They gave me the Mexican pizza. I don't want that. Oh, man, this life I have to live. need courage. Okay, I guess I'll eat it. I mean, no. I mean, these tiny little things that we consider. Or you're sharing the gospel with someone, and it gets really awkward with them. And you're like, oh, man, that's persecution. It's not, okay? But we, we have a tendency to poorly relate. But the truth is, whether we have a tendency to poorly relate to passages like this or not relate at all to passages like this, The truth is we all need the kind of courage Paul has because we all live in the same kind of world that Paul lived in, a world that is full of evil and suffering. We need courage because suffering is inevitable in our lives. We need that reminder from time to time. Suffering in a fallen world is normal for not just people who do bad things, for people period. Being a Christian does not make you immune to suffering or evil coming upon you. Bad things will happen to you. And if you remember, Paul knew that suffering was inevitable. The Spirit had impressed upon his heart, had told him, you are going to suffer when you go to Jerusalem. And then we saw back in Acts 21, the beginning of it, he had all of his friends Everyone with him, having all these impressions, you had a prophet who came and told him, he heard from three different sources, you are going to suffer in Jerusalem. He knew it was coming. He knew that suffering was inevitable. And so we need courage in this world to to continue to remain faithful to the Lord and to one another because this world is full of suffering. It's inevitable. We also need courage because suffering is so often unexpected. And those two things sound counterintuitive, but they're not. You can know that you're going to suffer and still be surprised by when the suffering comes and how the suffering comes. I mean, look, look at Paul here. I mean, look, look at this passage in verse 27. He, he's almost at the end of his vow. He's probably wondering how the, the Jews are going to respond. Is, is this plan going to work? And then he is ambushed by a mob. And one minute, he's walking in the temple to fulfill his vow. The next minute, he is lying in the dust being beaten. Even though he knew suffering was inevitable, he was still surprised. This is unexpected how it happened. And this is where fear steps into the equation. You know, what frightens me most about the reality of suffering isn't the inevitability of suffering. That's, that's kind of frightening in and of itself that you live in a, in a dangerous world where bad things can happen to you. That's, that's scary. That's not what personally scares me most. What scares me most is how unexpected suffering is. That you really and truly don't know when tragedy could befall you. You don't know. It's, it's unexpected. And that, that is frightening. The scary part of suffering is my inability, my ignorance, my inability to know when it's coming. It's the surprising timing and the surprising nature 
of suffering that brings fear to my heart. Maybe you even think of the way that you live your life. You're like, you know, that really bad thing could potentially happen to me because I'm living this way. And then you face suffering that completely blindsides you. Something you never expected could ever potentially or possibly happen to you. And then it does. Why do we need courage? We need courage because we live in an unpredictable world of suffering and evil and pain and sin. I mean, it it brings my mind back to what happened at uh, the Emanuel AME Church, the the shooting in Charleston in 2015. I I think about a man in my home church who who died two days ago from from COVID. He's he's in his his 40s, um, otherwise healthy, beautiful family, got COVID in November, ended up in a hospital and just the progression of it. And now he's gone. think of the many times that members at Trace have asked us to pray because they were waiting on a diagnosis from a doctor. What a, what a humbling, scary, powerless moment. I don't know what's wrong. They're going to tell me, though. And you're waiting on a call. You're waiting, you're waiting on a message. You're waiting on a report. That's scary. And even, even more minor, but, but similarly unexpected changes that can happen at home, that can happen at work, that can happen at church, require courage for us to remain faithful and to keep going. You see, when we face suffering like this, in all of its inevitable and unexpected forms, we need to be able to draw from a well of courage in our hearts. We need courage in this world. Now, what does that courage look like? Second point here. What what does courage look like? Now, courage, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. You remember the cowardly lion from The Wizard of Oz? Everybody? I've probably watched The Wizard of Oz at least 30 times. It was the go-to movie in our house growing up. So the, the cowardly lion from The Wizard of Oz, he thought so. He thought that courage meant the absence of fear. We know that from the, the wonderful song, Courage, where, where it begins. And Dorothy, you remember Dorothy? She asked the question, she says, if you were king, you wouldn't be afraid of anything? And the lion, he shouts back, not nobody, not know how, you know? And then, then the tin man comes in and he says, not even a rhinoceros? What's he say? Imposterous, right? <laughs> Dorothy finally, she asked, how they all together how what's he say courage courage but courage doesn't look like that courage doesn't look like you're not afraid of anything bring on the world it doesn't remove fear from our lives courage is the ability to do the right thing when you are afraid in the midst of fear in the in the face of suffering in the face of pain you don't grit your teeth no you know you're afraid but you do the right thing anyway. You see, courage is a virtue. It is, it is a disposition of the heart. In a lot of ways, it becomes a habit of the heart that promotes goodness in the world, usually in the face of challenging, frightening, or even painful circumstances. Now, when we think of courage, we, we rightly usually think of strong, impressive men and women running into danger. You think of 
courageous people. You think of soldiers, you know, in the midst of war, running into battle, knowing that they may lose their lives within the next five seconds, but they're running into battle for, for the good of others. You think of firefighters, you think of other law enforcement that run into danger for the protection of other people, and they have tremendous courage. We think of those examples, and, and we're right to do so. The problem is when we think of those examples, it's in the same way that when we think of Paul, we think we either don't need that kind of courage or we can't have that kind of courage. Courage usually brings to mind the biggest, the strongest, and the boldest among us, and we say, that is definitely not me. I, I'm, I'm not that. It doesn't change your need for courage, and the truth is, courage often looks more like weakness than strength. I'll give you a few examples. Courage is seen when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in the Garden. That's not a scene that would that would play well for a hero in, in a movie. Because Jesus doesn't look like a hero in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's afraid. He's on his knees. He's sweating blood. He's all alone. And, and what does he do in that moment? He, do, he doesn't raise his arms toward heaven and pray, Father, bring it on. Bring it on. Let's do this. What's he do? He beats his chest. He's on his knees. And he asks God, this is Jesus, asks God to remove the cup of wrath that he will face on the cross. He's afraid. But then we see his courage. What's he say? In the end, what's his resolve? Not my will, but yours be done. And he gets up and he heads toward the cross. You see, no matter what comes, Jesus remained faithful to his God-given mission, and that's courage. Courage is often seen in weakness, not strength. Courage is seen in a single mom who works two jobs to provide for her children. Courage is seen in the parents of children who have gone astray when they continue to pursue them in gentleness and love. Courage is seen in those who lose loved ones but don't lose their faith and don't lose themselves. Courage is seen in those whose lives are upended by suffering. Your life is turned completely upside down, and yet still somehow you are able to be content and joyful and keep living. That's courage. Two things mark Paul's courage in Acts 21 as he's here in Jerusalem being beaten, and it's compassion and conviction. Courage is characterized by both gospel culture and gospel doctrine. Paul's courage is marked by compassion for his enemies. As we said earlier, he stands and he addresses this mob, and the words he chooses to say are compassionate words. I mean, think about Paul in this moment. He's likely spitting blood, dusting himself off. He makes this really odd request of the head of the Roman guard, can I speak to the people? And then Paul is composed, he is calculated, he is calm. And he doesn't see this as an opportunity to lay into those who had wrongly harmed him. He calmly and courageously testifies to the grace of God in Christ. He shares the gospel by sharing his testimony. And, and even after... They dragged him and violently beat him. Paul still had compassion and love in his heart for the Jews. 
The reason that he even took the risk of taking the vow was because he loved the Jews and wanted to see them come to faith in Jesus and hear him and for, for the church to be unified. Well, it didn't work. And usually when you have a plan that doesn't work, you just bail and you're like, oh, well, fine then, you know? But Paul still has love and compassion for the Jews. And not just the Jews in general, but the very ones who were trying to kill him. But I want you to notice in particular how he relates to this mob. His compassion is seen in the way that he identifies with them. In the way that Jesus' compassion is seen in the way that he identified by with us by taking on human flesh. He begins his testimony like this. So look with me in Acts 22, starting in verse 1. Brothers and fathers, that warm language, that, that respectful address that he gives. He says, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Listen, Paul essentially looks to this mob who had tried to kill him, and he says, Hey, I get it. I understand. I was just like you. He says, I know the way that you feel about me. I understand your zeal. In fact, I was once just as zealous as you are now, probably even more so. I, I tried to do and actually did what you're attempting to do here. I killed Christians, men and women. Paul's essentially saying, you see, I'm, I'm no better than, than you. And it would have been so natural and so easy for Paul to scold the crowd or to seek his own vindication. Notice he says, here's my defense. Paul's defense involved identifying with them, the compassion that he shows to his enemies in this moment. This is what courage looks like. And the common thread here, Paul taking a moment here to tell his testimony about the grace of Jesus, exalting Jesus as the Messiah who has come to save sinners, and the way that he identified with the people, the common thread is that Paul is not focused on himself. He isn't focused on his pain. He isn't focused on his suffering. He isn't looking for a way to repay evil with evil. He is not focused on the injustice of his beating. Instead, he demonstrates amazing compassion and humility. He shows Jesus even as he tells about Jesus. This is what courage looks like. Courage is others-oriented. Courage is self-forgetful. When we have courage, we will demonstrate remarkable compassion and love for others. 
even for those who have done us wrong. And it takes courage to love people who are hard to love. It takes tremendous courage to obey Jesus' command to love our enemies. When we have courage, the culture of the gospel, the way of life that the gospel creates will be seen in us. Suffering is darkness. And the culture of the gospel is a light that shines in the darkness that when everything is going against you, you somehow still are compassionate toward others. You somehow still have the energy to love other people. And even when people do you wrong, because you have God-given courage in Christ, you are able to love those who harm you. But Paul's courage is, is also marked by conviction. So compassion, but also conviction. And this is another angle that we need to look at from Paul's testimony. So why is Paul being beaten here? He's being beaten because of what he's teaching. He's being beaten because of what they think that he's teaching, at least. Paul had an opportunity here, if he wanted his suffering to end, if he wanted it all to go away, just renounce Jesus. Just renounce Jesus, or just water it down significantly. Just say, hey, 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 you know what? I think there's just been a big misunderstanding. Look, y'all want to require people to be circumcised in order to be saved? That's fine. You do you, you know? We'll let the Gentiles do their thing, and you do your thing, and we'll all be divided. And look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was my bad. And, and he probably could have ended the suffering right there. I'm zealous for the law, too, and just fully cater to them. But he doesn't do that. When you read Acts 22, the language is similar because it takes us back to the first time we saw Paul's conversion. It's the exact same language that, that Luke is using here. Paul is telling the story this time, though. And as Paul's telling the story this time, he doesn't change anything. Jesus' lordship is on full display. Jesus is the one who saves, is on full display. Jesus is the one who sends and calls Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't even have to throw that in at the end. In fact, if you look at the very end here, verse uh, uh, 21, the last thing Paul says at the end of his speech, look what he says. So he's, he's being called, and he says, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then look at, look at verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Don't you love that? It's like they're sitting there. They, I mean, Paul is making headway here. They're listening intently. Wow, listen to this guy's story. And at the very end, all he says is, and then the Lord called me and sent me to the Gentiles, and they're done. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then Listen to how intense it got. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. This guy doesn't even deserve to live for saying he wants to go and preach to the Gentiles. For he should not be allowed to live, they said. How easy would it have been for Paul to be like, hey, I'm going to read the room. I don't know they're going to be cool hearing that the Lord's called me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I don't know. But he kept that as part of it too because of his conviction. His courage allowed him to stand on his convictions. Now, we may be faced with difficult circumstances that might tempt us to waver on our convictions about Jesus, to water down the gospel. We may at times feel pressure to change the gospel or dance around clear biblical teaching in order to appease other people. And we may even find ourselves in a more hostile context to Christianity. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. He may call you to go somewhere where it is actually really dangerous to tell other people about Jesus. Who knows? Things may change here. 
if we are courageous in these moments, what it looks like is firmness. Our feet are planted. We will not budge. We will not waver. We will remain completely committed to our gospel convictions. And this is, this is how important gospel doctrine is. Gospel doctrine stands as a firm foundation in the storms of suffering. So this is what courage looks like. It looks like compassion. It looks like conviction in the face of intense suffering. Well, okay, I hope you saw we need We need courage in this world. This is what courage looks like. Last thing, crucial, where does courage come from? Where does it come from? Um, we take cues from Paul's speech once again. Paul's speech is not just an example of courage. Paul's speech reveals the sources of his courage. Where did Paul get the courage that he demonstrates here? Because it's not only the content of his speech, but the fact that he, he decides to address the people. After being beaten the way he was, he doesn't even take a break. He stands up, hey, I'm ready. Can I talk to them? I got one question for you. I mean, think about that. After he's been beaten and he's asking a Roman, I got one question. Can I have a drink of water, please? You know, a towel, maybe. He says, no, I got one question. Can I talk to them? That courage, where does that come from? Um, and where, where can we get it? Courage, you know, I don't know. I feel like the way that the world thinks about courage is that you either have it or you don't, you know? And it's just, deep, it's just deep down inside. Or maybe everybody has it, but it's just, it's just down, it's down in here, you know? And you just got to muster it up. You got you to grit, and whenever things get hard, the going gets tough, the, the tough get what? Going. We get going, you know? And you just kind of, you just be tough, be bold, be courageous, just do it, you know? Muster it up. Uh, that, that just doesn't work. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't work like that. Because when you face inevitable but unexpected and intense forms of suffering in your life, you, there's nothing just to, to pull up within yourself because of how vulnerable we are and how naturally weak we are. If you're facing something that at minimum can change everything about your life or at most take your life, you can't even use like common things about, girl, how were you able to be courageous in that moment? Oh, well, I just was able to rely on my friends. My friends and my family, the love that they showed me helped me get through that. And that, that can be really true. That's not the best source, though, because what if you lose your friends and family? Well, then you've lost your source for courage to keep going. What, what, if, you, what if you have a diagnosis that, that is you have three months to live? Now you have a, a totally new enemy to face, which is death. Your friends can't help you with that. Your family can't help you with that as much as they will love you and, and comfort you and as important as that is. We need something deeper. Paul's courage came from two sources. His confidence in the gospel and his calling from God. Paul's courage came from his confidence in the gospel. So, so let's continue with his testimony here and we'll have read the whole passage. Look at verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews, lived there. And he came to me, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
And at that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Okay. Paul's conversion story. Paul tells this story because of how confident he is in his salvation through Jesus. He wants the people to know who he truly is and who the Lord has made him to become and what the Lord is sending him to do. Paul had met the risen Jesus. When Paul was talking to Jesus, he's talking to Jesus. This isn't, this isn't someone who was sent by Jesus. This isn't an angel. Jesus' voice is speaking to him. And so that, that event, the reason he chooses this, this moment to share, is that event changed his life forever. Because now, when he encounters Jesus, who he knows died, that means that Jesus is alive. And a resurrected Jesus is very different from a buried Jesus. And so for Paul, the confidence that he has in what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means for him gives him immense courage to face anything. He was confident that Jesus' death was no ordinary death, but it was a ransom for many. He was confident in the resurrection that if Jesus had beaten death, then not even death can conquer him. And when you are confident that God has saved you despite your wickedness, despite your sin, despite your failings, that he has extended grace and love and mercy to someone such as you. And when you are confident that Jesus defeated death, our greatest enemy, and that he suffered in our place, and we're following after him, who can come against us? What can stop us? Is there anything in this world that we cannot face with strange joy, knowing what our future is in Christ? We will be raised as he is raised. That's our future. And if death can't even conquer you, then there is nothing in this world that can't. So you can face anything with courage. This is where his courage came from. His courage was rooted in God's saving grace through Jesus. He's confident in the gospel. And one last thing, and this is huge, Paul's courage came from his calling from the Lord. Paul could courageously double down. He doubles down on his mission to the Gentiles in front of this hostile Jewish crowd because he knew that's what the Lord had called him to do. And that's what he tries to tell them here. He says, when I had returned to Jerusalem, verse 17, and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Paul was really hesitant to go on this mission. I don't want to tell other people about Jesus. I've been killing people who believe in Jesus. They're not going to receive me. He didn't want to go. He went because the Lord called him to. He says, and Paul continues, And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And here's the Lord's response to him. I know. I know everything that you've done. I know how messed up you are. 
I know how imperfect you are. I know how deep your sin runs. I have chosen you. I have set you apart. I will empower you. I am sending you to accomplish my mission. And he says, and he said to me, go. Don't you love that? Don't you love it? I hear you. I hear you. You're messed up. I, I know what you've done. I know that the, the trust level with others is probably not really high right now, but I know what I'm doing. Go. For I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul was so confident in his calling from the Lord. When you're confident in the Lord's calling, you can be courageous to fulfill that calling. The Lord has called you to do something. That is a source of courage to do it even if the circumstances look bleak and even if persecution may come or even if suffering may come as a result. If the Lord has called you to do it, you can fulfill that calling by his grace. Two questions as we close. And I, want you, I want you to, if you already have an answer to this, make a note of it in your phone, um, write it down. What do you need courage to face in your life right now? Even if you don't know where it's going to come from, you're, you're, you're not totally convinced, you, you're, you don't see how you could possibly endure this or face this, let's just start there. What do you need courage for in your life? What are you facing? What are you about to face that's going to require you to have courage? If you can't think of anything, then do a hypothetical. What could potentially happen to you that would require, require you to have courage? And then what can you do to cultivate courage in your heart? You need union with Jesus. You need communion with Jesus. You need to be so captivated by what Jesus has done for you. You, you, you need to be immersing yourself in the story of his grace. Not only for the world, but for you specifically. You need to be confident in how the Lord has reconciled you to himself and what the Lord is sending you out to do. Reflect on those things. We need courage in this world of intense suffering, but it comes to us through our Savior who demonstrated the ultimate example of courage through his death in our place and who has now invited us to be fully courageous no matter what we face through his resurrection and his